Hello, and thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Billy Newman Photo Podcast. I was putting up a photo from the Imnaha River Canyon. It's this really cool spot. When you get to the town of Imnaha, that's right where the, the river would run through, the Imnaha River. And then from there, it uh, it's really cool. There's like steep canyon walls on either side of it that go up, but it's cool in that area. It's it's kind of this uh, this like highland grassland that kind of goes out. And, uh, and that morning when we were camping there, we got to take a, a lot of really cool photos up by the campsite that we were at that was just right up on the rim of the mountain or the rim of the ridge. And it looks out down into the canyon. So you, you get to kind of see a few thousand feet down into the canyon. And then as it kind of climbs back up to the other side, as you would look west out toward the, the Wallawa Mountains, the Eagle Cap Wilderness Area. And then over to your east, which you can't see really, but over to your east as you kept going would be the ridge that would go down to the Snake River on that side into the Hell's Canyon. Um, so it's a really cool, really beautiful spot up there to get to spend some time. But uh, but the spot that I took the photograph that was posted today was uh, this really pretty um, just corner of the the Imnaha River Canyon on the road that you would drive on to get out toward Hell's Canyon. And uh, as you stopped there, we were taking photos in the morning while the shadows were still kind of at an angle, which is what I love. But, you know, it's tough when, when you get into midday, like where I am right now. Uh, the shadows from the sun, they come straight down. And so you don't really get any uh, any detail in some of the contours of the shapes that you'd be taking photographs of. So, um, so I really like the angle, the position, the lighting and stuff of the photograph. I thought it was cool to get to be out there again, and I love that area. But I have a bunch of other photos from from that area, and then kind of kind of on from there when we went to a few other spots. But uh, I have a photo from Imnaha going up today. You can check that out at Billy Newman on Instagram. I'm also trying to put up a video clip. I'll probably put one up from the Imnaha photo trip. Also, I'll, I'll put up a longer clip um, of uh, Marina and I working in the morning and uh, just kind of working on photos and trying to set up stuff and take photos. So it's uh, maybe a little behind the scenes stuff of while we were running around working on stuff. So it should be uh, kind of cool. I'll try and get that up onto YouTube and maybe I'll, I'll cross post that over to Facebook or, or I'll get that up on as a Hootsuite scheduled link here sometime soon. You can see more of my work at billynewmanphoto.com. You can check out some of my photo books on Amazon. I think you can look up uh, Billy Newman under the authors section there and see uh, some of the photo books on film, on the desert, on surrealism, on camping. Some cool stuff over there. I think uh, like October, well, September, October and and November are really like uh, maybe one of my favorite outdoors seasons and it's probably kind of set up that way for a lot of people that have like a tradition of going out on hunting trips through October or you know like going out on opening day or something like that in Oregon I think it's October 1st maybe in other states it's in a a part of September so I think it's kind of kind of been tuned and tied to the uh, the hunting season in uh, like the American cultural lore for probably a hundred years or 80 years or so uh, as that's kind of kind of been uh like part of the American mythologies, but it's uh, cool though. I like uh, going out in the fall. It's really one of the best times to go camping. It's uh, when you get to kind of take uh, or make use of all the equipment and stuff that you've sort of procured over time. And, uh, and that's when you kind of also get to use some of the, the skills and stuff you've been trying to scout out or train on to kind of see how they work and the application of them. You know, in the summertime when it's like really nice out, 
it's cool to go out and camp and i've always had a really great time doing that but uh like the hot weather camping i don't know it's um it's it demands a little less i guess it's kind of obvious but the environment is sort of uh something that you don't have to contend with as much and uh, in the deep winter the environment's probably too much to contend with so there's a cool kind of pocket that i like uh <laughs> as like an ideal uh but uh, a cool kind of uh, weather pocket or environmental pocket between i guess like parts of the fall until november when it kind of gets too deep into it and then parts of the spring as we're coming up into the summertime where you can kind of um you can kind of feel like you're getting to do a little bit more fires still kind of a no right <laughs> but uh <laughs> I'll wait for the winter or springtime to do that. But at least like in late fall, like in November or in these uh, like northern Oregon areas after you start getting like a layer of snow or a significant amount of rain and the fire, uh, the emergency level drops back down to green. Uh, there's a lot of open burning that you can do on campsites that you set up at public land and stuff. So I think that's always kind of a, a fun part of like the, the winter, like late fall camping stuff is when you get to set up like a bigger fire gather some wood, gather some big logs to be uh, kind of like your fuel for the evening. It's kind of fun. And it's sort of like that more, I don't know, primal kind of connective to to like the, the real kind of root camping stuff. But uh, as it goes for a lot of the year, uh, like in the summertime, like hot weather stuff, you kind of like uh, doing it around water or, you know, that's how like we would, we would do stuff, you know, we would do rafting or something. Uh, so it's kind of like enjoying the day. You don't have to layer up. You don't have to wear like uh, a dry suit or, you know, a bunch of different I don't know, warming layers that you have to kind of be conscious of. So I think that's kind of where you start getting into more of that now. I think like now, like river trips and stuff, you know, they sort of shift from like the the recreational summer tourism, whitewater stuff that you get between, I guess, like May and Labor Day. And now as you get kind of further into September and now deep into October, uh, you have people, I guess, coming down just kind of strictly for some of the fishing season stuff. So you get like uh, instead of rafts, You'll have a bunch of drift boats come down, like fishing boats and stuff, guided tours and stuff for some of the, the lower river stuff or just people out on there. They're kind of set up and prepped for fishing trips, but it's cool. Yeah, a lot of um, a lot of enthusiasm around some of the fishing stuff during this time of year. In fact, really, I want to get out and do some fishing stuff. I got my fishing license earlier this year, and I've gone a couple times this fall, but I need to really, I guess, commit a little more and kind of set it up the right way. I think I'm always kind of doing a couple too many things, you know, like I'm trying to like set a camera up to record footage and then throw some casts and let the line set. And then you wait for an hour or so, but maybe if it's a non-optimal time or you're kind of up to something else, then you move on and stuff. So I haven't really caught a lot of stuff that was keeper worthy. I picked up a couple of things out of the lake and it was like, oh, uh, shoot, a little tiny guy. Or a little like tiny sunfish or rafe. What is it? Yeah, I think it's a little sunfish, like these, uh, like kind of like a bluegill. Not a lot, you know. <laughs> Shoot, a little better than a minnow. Uh, but uh, yeah, I want to try and get into doing some more uh, fall fishing stuff through now until like the end of the year. And I think there's a couple couple good seasons that kind of come on through uh, November. But I think it'd be cool. I want to try and uh, try and jump into that a little faster. I think there's also some kind of controlled like stocked ponds that are nearby where I'm at. I think they stock them with trout through the winter. And I'm interested in trying out a couple of those places. They seem like they're, you know, or just, just kind of the numbers that they talk about. It's like, oh man, that's, that's kind of cool for that kind of a thing for a stocked fishing kind of thing. But uh, I've been trying to get a little bit more into like what I can harvest, what I can prospect, uh, what I can kind of 
kind of gather from uh, natural resource areas that are around me. And I think it's been kind of fun to do as, uh, I guess, sort of a hobby. Uh, So along with like the photo stuff that I'm trying to do while I'm out, I've been trying to, like I was saying, like get a fishing license so I can do some fishing stuff on the side or uh, pick up a little bit of information about what kind of rock counting I can do in that sort of area or uh, what kind of like foraging stuff I can do or what kind of uh, like wood gathering opportunities I have. So I've been trying to do some of that stuff a little bit more often. Like, uh, and I don't know, email me if there's some other cool stuff I can do. But uh, but yeah, it's been cool. I've been trying to like now in the fall, go out and do some chanterelle picking. Uh, so if I can find some spots that are good for it, it's like a lot of stuff like kind of near the coast or coastal range in Oregon, probably... Uh, I don't know what like Florence to Astoria, probably a lot into Washington too that I just have no clue about. But uh, that I think like those foot foothills of the the mountains there kind of get the moisture and they have the right type of uh, like temperature range uh, for them to grow during this time of year. It's interesting though how those those grow patterns go. I don't really understand. I really don't understand like mushrooms and how those mushroom rings work or how they like their their populations work but uh but yeah it's really interesting how they they grow in just like certain patches like where they are there'll be more of those but where they're not there won't be it's kind of it's i don't know it's just weird going around and finding them but if you find one you'll find like more around in that area if it's been like a good climate for it for a while though a lot of october still has been really just a little we've gotten a little rain here and there and i'm glad there's some like systems moving through but it's really kind of been dry enough still that uh, that some of the forest floor isn't quite moist enough yet to really start bringing on the the fungus growth that uh, that we need to get like a good a good crop of uh, edible mushrooms out of it. So uh, we'll kind of see how it goes, and I guess there's going to be a window of it. Sometimes like the the years are better for it or worse for it, and uh, I don't know. We'll kind of see how it how it goes for the rest of the year. Sometimes like as soon as you snap into November. You get a week or two weeks or three weeks into November, and those will really be pretty pretty good weeks. Uh, but as soon as you get a few days with sort of a, a where you get like a strong frost or freeze overnight, that really messes with the growth of those mushrooms. And if you get them consecutively for like three days, that, that'll really knock out anything. For one of them, you know, the mushrooms they grow so fast. So if you have a if you have a freeze, a hard freeze on Monday, but then it warms up Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. By Thursday, you'll you'll be able to get like a you wouldn't even notice. You know, you'll be able to get a good crop of uh, of new newly grown mushrooms out of out of you know that same same area. So it just kind of depends on like how it goes. But as soon as you start getting like a set of hard freezes, man, it just seems like I've gone out and seen like a bunch of them that had been growing, and then now they're just the uh, like mushy, and you know they just oh, they got a deep freeze, they they frosted over, and now it's like a dead plant, and it's just kind of turned into a mush. And they, man, those mushrooms turn into a mush real fast. It's really weird. I was looking at a ring that's growing in our yard. It's just toadstools, you know, like out by uh, like the, I don't know, just out by like a, a apple tree. It's cool that they come on, but they come on in like, uh, I think kind of late September is when they start to pop up this ring out there. And then there, there's some other areas that I've noticed some around town too. It seems like it's just like a certain time of year and boom, here's all these as soon as the conditions get met right. Uh, but yeah, right where those are, they come up and then they last about, I don't know, maybe five days, a week or so. Maybe it's been a week and a half now and but they, they really start to decay and they start to like kind of kind of fall over, fall apart. And it's interesting, too, to see how the grass responds. The grass on the lawn around it looks like it's been fertilized heavily. But, yeah, it just, boom, pops up. Bright, dark green grass, about three inches or maybe three, I don't know, maybe twice as tall as the, the rest of the grass around it. So, yeah, it seems like those little toadstool mushrooms 
fed the lawn pretty well. But yeah, I think there's like another growth of them coming on now, which is kind of interesting how they, they come on in a couple of phases, but there's some, some fresh ones coming up in the, the ring area around it. And then those will, I don't know, those will kind of last for a couple of days and then wilt out over again too. But it's cool. Um, checking out some mushrooms and stuff around here. But yeah, I've been trying to go out and sort of see what I can uh, forage around for, which has been kind of fun. I'm not really sure what other stuff there is. I hear there's, what is it, elderberry? I hear about that being looked for. And I remember, now this is another one. I remember seeing a, a person, it was a strange circumstance. I was driving on a, on a forest road out in the mountains here, pretty deep in the mountains, and didn't see any cars around, didn't, or didn't pass a car on the drive up. You know, you see a car, then you're like, oh, well, there's probably a person around with that car. And then after we passed this, like, we didn't see a car either, but we, we were driving, and then there was, a like, a shorter man with a hat, and he had two big racks of these, like, branches, maybe about as long as, like, your elbow to your fingertip or so, but these long, like, thin branches with these big, broad green leaves on it. And it'd yeah, it'd be I don't know maybe twenty four inches or so, and they were all on these stacks, and then there would there'd be like a kind of a plywood thing, or I don't know what it was, maybe newspaper or something paper, but then it was like more stacked on top of that, and then another layer more stacked on top of that. But yeah, you just had this big bundle of these sticks with these big broad green leaves on it, and he was standing there on the edge of the road that we were at, and we drove by, and then we drove down the rest of this road and yeah we never saw a car or anything that he was staying in but this guy was out here collecting these green sticks and leaves uh so i'm not sure what that is it looked like elderberry i've never really identified it exactly i know some of that grows up here and i know people try and forage for it but i'm not really sure what for or how it works but now that i know they do it i want to do it too sort of how the chanterelle thing came out i think like a lot of people had never really even heard of that uh, or a lot of like the mushroom picking stuff, like morels. Morels got really popular and stuff. But uh, I think it's like kind of because because it, it kind of people sort of found out that you can go look for it and people are going look, looking for it, or that it's like really expensive. You think like, wow, if it's fifteen bucks to look for it, or fifteen bucks to buy a pound of mushrooms, the chanterelle mushrooms in the store. Well, if it's that expensive, it must be good. And if it's that good, then I must want to go look for it sort of what it seems like a little bit but it's cool going out looking for some mushrooms and stuff outside i hear people talking about like uh like picking morels and i guess those grow i guess those must grow in a different environment like a different terrain or or whatever it is i hear about them more like tour like in the east or like the midwest so i'm not really sure but i know like there's different relationships of like the the tree to the type of soil and the type of like environment that it's in uh all kind of plays a part into like what mushroom is going to grow? Is it a mycorrhizal relationship? I might have talked about it last time, but I don't really understand how that works. But I don't, so I don't understand what allows there to be like a morel versus a good spot for a chanterelle to grow, or a portobello, or what is what are those regular white ones? Just those criminy, just regular ones that we eat and stuff. So I'm not really sure what what kind of like allows you to to farm some but not farm others. I know that's a big one that you can't effectively farm morel mushrooms. I guess you can. You can harvest them in an area that is set up as an optimal environment. That's about as good as, as they've had it. Like they've had, they found like where they're growing and the time of year that they grow well and they try and optimize for that so that they can go through and harvest more of it out of it. But they haven't been able to take, I suppose, like an area that 
that didn't have the correct environment for it and then sort of artificially grow more than the landscape would kind of bear naturally. I don't think they figured that out. And I don't really understand that, like how there's some that you can, uh, or you you kind of figure out a little bit, but like, it's just like the complications between the relationships for some of them get so complex that it's like difficult to recreate. I guess there are biologists that work on that of like how to get, or what is it? A, uh, it's not a biologist. It's a type of biologist that studies mushrooms, right? A mycologist? Mycology? I think it's mycology and a mycologist for study of mushrooms. But I also think there's like agriculture interests. I think there's like a food industry interest in trying to generate mushrooms of different varieties so that they're like a a commercially available product. So I think they're trying to like work those things out. So sometimes it's mycologists at that level trying to study it and figure that out. But I think sometimes it's like, I don't know, whole different companies and groups and teams of people trying to sort of sort of uh, figure out ways to sort out those problems with, uh, with growing and harvesting some mushrooms and stuff. You know, I was hearing about this other thing too, where if you get a bunch of mushrooms and you're not quite sure what they are, there's a lot, there's, I guess, a few different ways, or there's, there's a couple problems where it's difficult to identify certain types of mushrooms. There's some mushrooms that have, well, I'm not really sure how it goes. I really don't know anything about it. So I guess I should leave with that. There's a lot of them that are poisonous, I guess is sort of like the, the, uh, the cautionary point of it. Like people talk about mushroom picking a lot, but really there's a lot of mushrooms that are, that are, pretty dangerous or that are just going to likely make you sick so if you don't really have much expertise in it uh it's kind of kind of difficult to go out and do that easily you know because you're just going to gather some stuff that may look like it or may look almost exactly like it but there's sort of some nuance to detail that makes it a different mushrooms or a different mushroom species that actually is one that's you know not good for you or at least not edible there's a lot of there's i guess a difference between like the, the neurotoxic mushrooms that uh will i think kill you or or get you really sick uh, and like sick uh, in like a, a neurotoxin way, but then I think there's like a, a number of them that are just inedible in a way where they'll they'll I guess one from a range make you very sick to eat, or they'll make you just kind of like mildly unhappy with what you ate. But generally, like I'd prefer not to eat a lot of that stuff. Or like if it if it seems like it's a a bad <laughs> or like an unknown, I'd rather like not eat. Uh, just sort of an unknown mushroom. A lot of them, I guess, you can eat, or there's a number of them that are like maybe not preferred, but are edible, but sort of may make you get an upset stomach. I was kind of confused about that. Of like, well, why would you eat it? I was like, oh, you can eat it. It'll make you sick, but yeah, you can eat it. And it's like, well, oh, but isn't that what? Why? Why I wouldn't eat it? I mean, it's it's a thing I'm eating that makes me sick, right? Like, I can eat rotten milk too, right? It just makes you sick. Like, so I don't want it. I don't know, but. Uh, I've heard of that as an explanation for some stuff. Also, I don't know. You, you hear weird explanations for eating natural things sometimes. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I was hearing about this thing where you can you can put you can put a you can put a bunch of mushrooms that you've got down on like a screen and then put like paper on the backside of it. And then if you cover them and let them sit for a while, they'll the, after they're cut, they'll end up throwing their spores. And I guess with certain mushrooms, you can visually like see the spore pattern that's dropped onto the sheet that you put on that screen. And I guess that's how they're able to identify some similar shaped mushrooms. Like if this mushroom looks this way and this other mushroom of a different species looks almost exactly the same way, a way that you can identify 
how they are different is by setting them on the screen and then getting a throw of their spores and then identifying the spore. Like, you know, one spore pattern will be like bluish or purplish or I don't know, whatever. And the other spatter or the other spore pattern will be like a yellow color or something. So you're like, oh, well, like this one, like through this kind of spore and this one didn't. So like now we can identify this as this, as this specific mushroom. I thought that was weird though, like how, how to kind of figure that out. But uh, fortunately, like it, that's what's cool about chanterelles is that they're really one of the easiest ones to identify the golden chanterelles. There's one that like almost looks like it. That's a good thing to like pull up a YouTube video to identify visually how to how to distinctly tell those difference the differences apart between them. It's sort of the way that the the gills are fluted up the vein of the stem, and then as it kind of comes up to the mushroom top, how does that how does that transition happen? With chanterelles, it's the 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 gills are really shallow and they start real low on it, and then kind of sweep up the fluting of the stem up to the mushroom top, and uh, and then with these imposter ones. I guess there's kind of like a hard angled joint there where you see the gill lines start and then the gills kind of come out from there with like a deeper, uh, a deeper sort of cut to the, to the gill ridge with sort of some finer material, but those aren't good to eat. And I think those are a little bit more of a white color. There's white chanterelles too. I'm not really sure how that goes. The difference between like the white chanterelles or the golden chanterelles. I thought it was like sun exposure. Like if they were kind of bleached out from being sort of hidden under moss or something, they always seem to be like a, a lighter kind of, well, yeah, just like a real light color. But then I thought the ones that were out in the sunshine had to sort of defend against that and like uh, got like more of a color to them. But I guess they're kind of like a different set of mushroom types. Sort of what I understand, but I've collected both of them in sort of the same areas. And if you find one, then it seems like you find uh, both of them. So I'm not sure how that goes, but I've uh, appreciated kind of collecting them. And uh, it's uh, cool to, to dry them. That's what I've been trying to do is it's hard to eat through all those mushrooms fresh as they are uh, when you're harvesting them. I'm harvesting those mushrooms all at one time. And so what I'm trying to do this year, as opposed to what I've done in past years, where I just try to make up a dish with all the mushrooms all that first time while they're fresh. It's fun to kind of go through uh, the stuff you harvested and then like make a big pasta thing and like put a bunch of mushrooms in it. But this time it's just the ones that you harvested after you clean them. So that's really cool. And it's fun to uh, put stuff like that together. But what I'm hoping to do is kind of gather up enough stuff from going out a little bit more frequently into a few different areas and then uh, gathering up the stuff that I've got, drying it out and then uh, having like dried mushrooms that are bagged and stored so that I can have them kind of through the rest of the year. Um, I've also heard about like freezing mushrooms. Have you guys heard of that? I know, like, or, like, you know, like when you thaw it out, like, it's not really the same material anymore at all. So it's, like, you have to kind of put it into a, a sauce or something like that. So I was thinking, like, the cell damage that you get after freezing, it would just be, like, way too much to really use again. So I think what I'm going for is to, like, do a, uh, to dehydrate the mushrooms so I can, like, cut them or even maybe leave them intact, but, like, uh, have those mushrooms dehydrated which is, there's a lot of water. If you like, um, especially like after it's been like really wet, like they just soak up that water in the forest floor and then it's all within that, that cell mass of the chanterelle. But when you put like, take a cut of a chanterelle, that's like a kind of a thicker, hardier one. You take a cut of it and you put it on a frying pan that's hot and you watch like the amount of water that it releases. But it's like, wow, that is just almost all rainwater that had come down and filled the cell walls. And now it's being released as you start to cook it. But you think, man, that's a lot. No way. 
So I don't know. It's kind of cool. It's cool uh, going through October, doing some of this stuff. I've also been trying to go out and do some rock counting stuff. It's cool. I've just kind of been jetting over. I mean, this is like kind of the old and easy classic one, but I've been jetting over to the coast, kind of keep an eye on the high tide and low tide times of the day and of the month. But it's uh, cool to jet out there and uh, check out what rocks are sort of washed up on the surface in the sand on the beaches uh, in times of low tide. So it's kind of cool going out there, cruising the rock line and kind of just picking up some nice polished stones on the beach, which I've been kind of trying to do. Some jade stuff is kind of cool. You find like the, the little green ones, find some sand dollars and stuff, but you find like some cool rocks out there. I've been kind of having a good time trying to pull up some of those stones. A couple times we've got agate. A couple times it's like quartz. I think it's like a quartz rock. And then a lot of the time it's, I don't know, just some of their kind of cool, normal, what is it, basalt, normal rock stuff. Or it's got a line in it or something. That's kind of cool when you find one with like a, a textured feature of it, you know, where it's uh, there's some seam or something in there. I always like that kind of stuff too, where it's uh, it's kind of a combination and stuff. But been going out to the beach and uh, trying to find some rocks and stuff through October and trying to kind of get out and do some more active stuff. I'll get into some of the camping trip stuff that I've done here in a little bit. But yeah, trying to go out to Eastern Oregon and check out some stuff and uh, sort of poke around and. You can check out more information at BillyNewmanPhoto.com. You can go to BillyNewmanPhoto.com forward slash support if you want to help me out and participate in the value for value model that uh, we're running this podcast with. If uh, you receive some value out of some of the stuff that I was talking about, you're welcome to uh, help me out and send some value my way through the portal at BillyNewmanPhoto.com forward slash support. You can also find more information there about uh, Patreon and the way that I use it if you're interested or, or feel more comfortable using Patreon, that's patreon.com forward slash Billy Newman photo. Most of this podcast has been brought to you by using Cakewalk Sonar, brought to you by BandLab. Maybe I talked about this a little bit, but uh, BandLab is a website or a company, and I guess it made a purchase of the software Cakewalk Sonar that had been for a short time previously owned by Gibson Guitar Company since like, I don't know, 2011 or something like that. Uh, so interestingly, a couple of years ago or something, they Gibson said, hey, we're not going to do any more updates to the Sonar software. So that's just sort of abandoned. But Sonar was like one of the professional DAW editors for a lot of multi-track recording studios, especially stuff that, you know, that was, uh, that was PC-based, PC-based recording other than maybe Audition or Reaper, Tractor. Uh, there's a bunch of other stuff out there. But Sonar had been, Cakewalk and Sonar had been one of the longstanding multi-track recorders out there. So I guess it was purchased by this company, Band Lab. They're continue, continuing to do updates and development in the software. Uh, and it's available for free now, which is pretty cool. So you can go to bandlab.com, you download like their installer software, and yeah, you can just uh, download a full functioning version of the 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 top of the line sonar was a cakewalk platinum studio that had come out a couple years ago and so that's what i'm recording into right now it's a pretty nice layout it's working fine on this uh this older windows 10 machine that i'm working on right now and it's pretty fun i'm having a good time uh recording into it through the audio interface that i've got going the h4n with the xlr inputs coming in left and right into it and then it's uh the the two in two out usb interface so it's just going over like a usb cable out into the computer and it seems like we're getting great 
uh, preamp quality a lot better than we did with the what is it the ad the audio digital converter that's in this unit apparently you have to take like an analog signal and then crunch that down into data and then get that into the computer so that this doc can record the i don't know the wave whatever it's going to do in Apparently, it's getting like technology does. It's getting progressively better over time. So I guess a lot of the things that used to be maybe very expensive for AD conversions are now a bit better or, or higher fidelity or you know I don't know just a full bit. Uh, what is it like CDs are 16 bit and maybe there's like 32 bit AD conversion or 64 bit AD conversion. So it's probably just a level of recording sampling that's or maybe that's even just different altogether. I don't really know the process of AD conversion, but what I do know is that this one that I have that's about 10 years newer than the other one I had seems to have uh, way better preamps maybe is what I'd say, but just the way that it's able to control the sound as it comes in uh, seems like it's it's much better and doesn't really contain that. It's sort of like this weak digital sound is sort of the best way I would describe it. Something that you would have like early sound cards and stuff like that too, where it's, it, it just didn't really sound like it had like a full quality of the track to it when you recorded it. So kind of silly, interesting stuff, but yeah, this one sounds a lot better than the other one did. And the other one was pretty good for its time. It was a lot better than the sound cards that would have been available for, for me. And uh, I mean, that's what I was using to record stuff even up to just a couple months ago. So yeah, using the H4N, again, got the keyboard in here, ready to go. I need to figure this out with some other cool stuff. There was like, I don't know, it's a setup with a piano sound for a while. And then I switched it over to this nice uh, little pad of sound. It's pretty cool. On the Mac, I'm pretty frustrated. I'm on the PC now, right? So on the Mac, there's this great program, I think by Rogue Amoeba called Fer Faraja, Farago, something like that. It's this really cool uh what would you call it, like soundboard app where you can kind of trigger, you can hit a key, right, like that, but it'll trigger some sound that you have, some, you know, just some patch of sound that you have as a clip in that spot. So you can build your own soundboard. So you have a keyboard and you can punch in like all these different sounds that would play through your computer that you can record and stuff. I really want to use it, but it's only, it's like Apple, Mac only. And I can't put it on this PC. Shoot. So I think, uh, what was it, Discord, that the the chat and call communications platform app that uh, a lot of gamers use i guess there's like a couple soundboard utilities that those guys use on the windows side so there might be something in there where i can do a midi controller to have in the background to to grab out a couple patches the thing i'm trying to do though right really is to figure out like the midi controller that's in cakewalk and see if i can build my own set of patches like i only need like three or four and then I can I can hotkey those and record like oh this one, that'll be like the intro music and that'll be the outro music and this will be I don't know some some amusing sound sound bite that I can drop in right that's what I need <laughs> so <laughs> probably not though uh, but I'll try and figure something out with it it's kind of fun kind of fun goofing around with it really I'm not sure if I'll I'll use this keyboard a lot in the podcasting process but other to other than to annoy the uh, the poor. Well, I was gonna say folks, but probably just folk—just one or two people that are uh, that are <laughs> poorly making the choice to check out this long-winded podcast. So, thank you if you made it all the way to 20 minutes and 50 seconds into this program. So, uh, yeah, uh, it's kind of fun doing all this audio stuff and working in Cakewalk and Sonar and learning about some audio recording stuff. I got the multi-tracking stuff set up pretty well, so I can do—I can do this input. I can do. And then put into the mic over to the left of me, and then again, 
got the keyboard in here, got the MIDI controller set up to, to do some recording too. So that recorded out to a wave and that'll put together another episode. I'm sure you're excited of the Billy Newman photo podcast uh, that I'll, I'll be able to, I guess, throw up on to my website maybe in the next 24 hours or so. I got to make that part easier. That's the thing that I want to make a little bit more fun is the next like, I don't know, 40 minutes or so is just trying to like get everything open and get this file loaded into my WordPress site. It's got to be like a more automated way to do that, right? Hmm. I should look into that. Maybe that's the sort of automation stuff I need to try and figure out. Thanks a lot for checking out this episode of the Billy Newman Photo Podcast. Hope you guys check out some stuff on BillyNewmanPhoto.com. A few new things up there, some stuff on the homepage, some good links to other other outbound sources, some, some links to books, some links to some podcasts, links to some blog posts, all pretty cool. But yeah, check it out at BillyNewmanPhoto.com. Thanks a lot for listening to this episode of the podcast. Talk to you next time.